If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Today is my birthday! Yes, it is. We're gonna have fun! I'm gonna see you, podcast! <laughs> Happy birthday to you, Pat! Yes, it's a new CU podcast for Tuesday, May 9th. It's birthday. It's, wow, it's the first time I fell on my birthday, I think. Happy well, birthday, young man. Thank you. Alongside Ian Ferguson, I'm the birthday boy. <laughs> oh, you're the birthday boy. Yes, you are. I'm the birthday boy. I'm young. Uh, we're talking about on the show today, the new 2- 2DS XL, which is new, new. Uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe Thoughts, DLC for Breath of the Wild, Maker Studios being maybe done, Wolfenstein 3D 25th Anniversary, Elvis Collectibles, <laughs> as well as a couple other things going on. And uh, actually, there's no Q&A right now. Maybe we'll change that. Ian, what's 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 going on in your world? Uh, just stuff. <laughs> just, <laughs> just stuff? Just stuff. Just working. Very and, specific. And things. Yeah, I mean, it's unexciting these days. Come on, you're on the podcast. It has to be exciting. Uh, well, I mean, other than the fact that I am a member of the CU podcast and I uh, receive the royal treatment wherever I go, which is exciting. Well, uh, you know, you get the people that say, well, I, I deserve a discount listen to the podcast. <laughs> That's definitely a free benefit, right? Right? That, that, well, that, wait, 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 what? How does that work? Wait, how does that, hold on a second. They get a discount? <laughs> they get a discount. <laughs> you know, when, when I when I see uh, famous actors at Comic-Con, I go, hey, hey, you know, you should just give me a, give me a free drink because I watched your movie. Yeah. yeah. That's just how it works. No, uh, the pain's been rough lately, so I've been binge-watching uh, Forensic Files and uh, We Bear Bear and uh, some other cartoons. Why and stuff is like Forensic that. Files so calming? I don't. <laughs> when it's just death, because we're horrible people. Okay, not all of it's death. Ninety percent of the time, it's death. Yeah, Bonnie gets like, kind of upset when it ends up being one that's like, oh, that was just a robbery. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> oh, they just saved the kid's life? <laughs> yeah, they overturned a conviction? Damn it. This well, this one's just about food poisoning. Well, that's what the local one was about. The local one was about someone had died, but it overturned the conviction. Mm-hmm. You see that one? Yes, I have. That's a, that was a very special episode of Forensic Files. I was there's, trying there's, to get Frank to watch that one. There's a special one that takes place in Buffalo about the Paladinos. That was a good one. Yeah. No idea what that is. You just brought this to a halt. The Paladinos? What, what was that? Uh, it, was just a, uh, it was a murder case where he was slowly poisoning his wife to death. Usually it's the opposite. Usually uh, it's always women's uh, tool of choice in murder is poison, slow poison, when you watch these shows. Mm. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, that was a bit of a, a reversal, a reversal. From, 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 from the forensic trials norm. I think I think they had one on. One of the most famous ones, uh, somewhat close to where I uh, grew up. In New Jersey, there was a guy that killed his family and went on the run for, like, I think, like, 10, 15 years before they found him. Oh, yeah. wow. But it was, like, an, an affluent part of New Jersey. It was, you know, he just, yeah, he killed his whole family, got up and left. I think they tracked him after, like, 10, 15 years or something. But, hey, but, but fun times. Birthday, you know, Carvel ice cream cake, you know, see you podcast. Murder. Um, a certain NES guide app is out. It's it's getting up, pumping to 1.3 version. will be out there soon. Nice. Up to the point where, you know, I want it to be at for people to enjoy it and actually actively promote it. That, that'd be nice. Uh, Ian, you haven't tried the app, have you? No. Of course not. Um, other than that, there's an NES Punk episode in the works. 
uh, flea market madness just came out a couple weeks ago, which is just really tracking the death of the flea market as we know it. Especially since we're a couple years behind me editing them, it's just you can slowly yeah, how see. How far it. behind are you? Two years. Oh, in editing them. Just about two years. I think the last one came out was like from early 2015. But you can just slowly see it trending. The death <laughs> of the flea market. I only go like once a month, if that at this point. It's it's incredible. Yeah. I, I would used to call you and bother you every Sunday. Yeah. Hey, this is what I got. I picked up a handheld game. I was just Are going you, to say, you haven't called me and woken me up on a Sunday in a long time. To no, I don't want to wake you up anymore. So, yeah. unless, unless I used to ask you if you wanted yeah. stuff. And 9% of the time, you're like, no. Bonnie will go with you. I'm going to go with, with Bonnie. Yeah. My pal, Bonnie. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I'm not sure about wiser. I don't have the energy I used to. But then again, I think it's just because 2015 and 16 were so stressful. But, um... I, I still have that same youthful resolve that I had before. I'm just hoping that maybe I'll, I'll, the nastiness, maybe I should let the nastiness out more this year in 2017. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You're supposed to get less nasty. No, no I don't know about that. There's, I think I'm going to turn to the old curmudgeon that starts just keeping the people's uh, wiffle balls that come on the wall. Yeah, I mean, you could, so start, you, right, yeah, you could start shaking the cane. I start shaking the cane. More. Yeah, I feel like I've already started doing that. <laughs> With, with the podcast, or yeah, just in general, just in general, yeah, I just shake the cane a lot, yelling at clouds, yeah, yeah, old man yells at cloud. <laughs> well, you're a couple a couple years younger than me, <clears throat> yeah, and your birthday's August ninth, ninth. Okay, so that's just screws me up since you're the ninth, I'm the ninth. Someone else I know is the ninth, and then uh, my girlfriend is not the ninth. It's close to the ninth though, but it's just a couple days off. It screws it up for everyone else because then I'm trying to see who's which one is not the ninth. One of our mutual pals is. The eighth, yeah. There's so a lot don't of tell, don't tell me that. Everyone's screwing around the same time. There's, there's nine months before. There's a lot. There's a, there's a lot of birthdays in that first. A lot of sex August. going on after the first weekend of the month. You know, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Ian, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I feel like shit. Uh, uh, I, I so know. we got some news. We got some. We got the new. We got, new, we got the new news. The new new Nintendo 2DS the, XL that's new. And it's it's beautiful. It's a, it's a gorgeous thing. Um, so Nintendo, um, never never content to uh, stop uh, with with new iterations of their, their, their hardware. Especially handhelds. Especially their handhelds. <laughs> um, and I think in an interesting statement, uh, which is to say that, you know, the, the, the 3DS family is, is here for at least another year, um, especially with the lineup they've been showing, uh, game-wise, announced that they are releasing the new Nintendo 2DS XL. Um, new. And it's gorgeous. Um, it's, it's fantastic. So the, the, the big difference new. between the previous... Shut up. <laughs> the previous difference <laughs> between... It's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can't play the damn thing again. Just mute your computer every time. <laughs> well, it's a Miller Lite commercial. I don't want to go on. All right. God damn it, IGN. So the big difference is between block. the previous 2DS and the new Nintendo 2DS XL, a one doesn't have that sweet uh, wedge of bread shape anymore. Well, let's let's back up because if you're not get confused, new means that it was the upgrade to the original 3DS. Yes, right. And 3D. First, there was a new 3DS, then the new 3DS XL. New just no, made, no. There wasn't a new th- regular 3DS. Let me break it down. For <laughs> okay. You. Okay. 3DS, 3DS XL, uh, 2DS. 
new 3DS XL. They skipped a new 3DS. They okay. skipped it here, except for limited limited editions. Limited edition, but they did have it though yeah. somewhere. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So what that means is it was it was slightly faster software, slightly faster, um, yeah, slightly faster Hardware. processor. That was on the new 3DS stuff. So now we're talking about the new 2. Let me just let me no, let me let, let me name my bullet points. Okay, okay. now you no. Original 2DS. Cheaper, um, no, no hinge to break. It was a t- like a tablet looking thing. Yeah, like a tablet looking thing. Um, it had obviously the biggest thing was no stereoscopic 3D. This was to um, bring the price down, and it was a perfect move by Nintendo at the time to release this uh, for the holiday season when Pokemon X and Y came out. And plus, for children, there, there was children might, might screw up their eyes of too much 3D. That as well, and it also was a, a super like cheap entry point at ninety nine ninety nine as opposed yeah, to oh, one yeah. ninety nine, which was what was happening at the time. Uh, was what the um, the three DS XLs were going for at yes. the time. So now we get the new two DS XL. It has all of the benefits of the three DS the new three DS XL, including the faster processor, the C stick. Um, it actually rearranges where the memory card is so that you don't have to open up the back of your, your new 2DS XL to um, upgrade your memory card. You can just pop it back in the bottom again. Um, it has a deeper cartridge slot so that it's less likely to eject um, while it's in a bag or something like was, that. Was that a problem sometimes? Hey, you hit, it, the, hit the button by accident? Hey, if you were a, you know, a silly person who didn't put it in a protective case. Yeah. That's very judgmental, I feel, Ian, but okay. I said they were silly. That's judgmental. Well, they are if you're not putting okay. a brake okay. like if you're not putting it in a case. Okay. Um, but it's very, very sleek. By getting rid of the 3D, which at this point almost no one—I mean, most people use it as a novelty and never really used it. How many games actually required a 3D element? Well, none of them required it. I thought there were some portions of some games that you really needed the 3D part. No, there were por- there were games that made great use of it, but it wasn't required. It wasn't required. Okay. Yeah, um, like uh, everyone says, Link Between Worlds used the 3D very well, um, but it was not required. Um, you did need the 3DS XL. You need the XL or the um, the new part. The new, you need the, the new, faster the new part for something like uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. Yes. Okay. So you get all that benefit, <clears throat> and by taking away the 3D that people basically don't really use, Nintendo barely uses it. They, they 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 didn't even put it in uh, Sun and Moon. I don't think, or if they did, it's it's minimal. I know they used it very minimally in X and Y. Um, you have a much thinner top screen. So one of the big problems I think people complained about with the XL, and which is why I moved down to the 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 new Nintendo 3DS size and not the new Nintendo 3DS XL. Fuck all this, um, is because it was so top heavy. Sure. So now you have a much sleeker, slimmer design. Okay, let's back up a bit. When they announced the, the 3DS, you're coming, you know, hot off of the regular DS, which did fantastic. You mm-hmm. had the DS Lite, which is the de facto version of that, which everyone loved, right? Yeah. Uh, which what I had, everyone had. 3DS is a cooler name versus upgrade to DS. <sighs> it it built in DSU. the 3D sort of. Uh, Gimmick, and it was a gimmick at the time, five, six years ago. Going back, to, I went to CES 2010. 3D TVs. 3D TVs were all the rage in like 2010, 2011. They tried to push them for a couple of years. No one fucking bought them for two reasons. One, they were really expensive. Two, they didn't work properly. You had to be positioned in the right space in the room with the fucking glasses on. Third, everyone just got done upgrading. 
in the late 2000s to the brand new LCD LED TVs. Not even LEDs were out, even really, yeah, LCDs. So then you got to throw away that TV and buy a nice $2,500 3D TV. No, didn't work. But at the time, also in movie theaters, Avatar came out in 2009, 3D movies made a comeback. 3D movies were seen as, oh, it's cool again, look at this technology, go in the theaters, and we all went and saw some 3D movies. Oh, yeah, it's cool. But it was... By and large, a gimmick. Mm-hmm. 3D, even 3D movies have sort of died out. It used to be even a couple of years ago that the amount of showings for something like Guardians of the Galaxy, there were more 3D showings than regular. If you look now, regular showings have come back. People did not buy into 3D as much as the marketers wanted you to, I think. Right. So I think Nintendo recognized that after a few years and realized, you know what? It's cool to have the name 3DS, but are people using the 3D after the 3DS? I never used it when I used my 3DS or rarely did. I turned it on, and I would always turn it on, like, to see how well it was done in a game, mm. or if I saw a level that looked like it would be particularly cool looking in 3D, I would play it, but I, I, it, con- if I used it 20% of the time, I would be surprised. Which is why I guess this appeals to a lot of people, because no one, you drop the 3D part, no one cares. I don't care. You drop the price to 150 mm-hmm. which, by the way, is half the price of the Switch. Mm-hmm. So, Nintendo's sort of hedging their bets against very few people are saying the Switch is too expensive nowadays. Mm-hmm. I think that the price point's perfect for what it I is. I think it's fine. But this is going to bridge that gap, which we can get into earlier, or get into later, that we both thought about and even discussed off-air, off, off air, was that this is going to keep the system alive for another year, mm-hmm. maybe a year and a half. You have those third-party developers that give them a chance to get out their final games on this platform before they take all their games in and go to the Switch and have you, you have that one unified platform probably for the next five, six years right. after that point. It's a natural fit. And then you will get to that point, give it a couple years, three years, where you have your mini Switch, potentially. So if people think that the regular Switch is too big to put around in their silly kids in their bags and not protecting them, the mini Switch will eventually probably come out, which will be smaller, one piece, and that will replace... Something like the 2DS at some point. That's my opinion. I think that that, that could be a possibility. Yes. Now, there is no, it's not going to have the same touch features and stuff, but, I mean, at the end of the day, you can get around that stuff and work around that. Or maybe they'll come out with a mini Switch that does it. I don't know. The whole point is that this is going to be the bridge, I think, to just the unified Switch. Mm-hmm. I, I don't see they're coming out with a replacement to this anytime soon. Me, personally, I don't see that. Um, yeah, I really don't, I don't think they do either. I, I, I think now that the Switch is out in people's hands and they're seeing how people are using it, uh, you know, um, and now that I've talked to more people, you know, I use it as a portable. Other people have used it almost entirely as a console. I think they realize that they would be fracturing the 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 base maybe of the Switch. If I, I, I would I would imagine someone at Nintendo is looking at it right now and going, okay, yes, this this risk of a unified console is actually maybe going to work out for us. But this is obviously their 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 safety just to see for the next year, to see what happens. Oh, sure. I, I mean, if it wasn't for the 3DS during the Wii, Wii U period, yeah. Nintendo would have sold nothing. Yeah. You know what I mean? It would have been the end of Nintendo! No, not the end, but it would have been a bad few years and some people thrown off of boards and <laughs> off of buildings. It yeah. would have been the ramen years. The ramen years at Nintendo yeah, of Japan? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they close out the cafeteria, pass out cup of noodle to everyone? Yeah, it's just cup of noodle. So I'm interested in this because I, I did not have a new... 3DS or new 3DS XL. I do like the colors. 
Uh, so what U.S. is getting? What we're getting the neon, neon blue one. The blue and black. I like the. I, I do. Like, I like the white and orange. I do like, yeah, I'm, gonna call, I'm gonna call it the creamsicle colors. Yeah. I, I do like the creamsicle. Colors. That's coming out. I think in is it the Asian regions? Then Japan and uh, yeah, it's in Japan and I think Australia. Why don't they give us the choice? Or is they're probably gonna do 14 different limited editions that are gonna get scalped? Uh, who knows? Yeah. I won't be getting one though. It's sad. I really like the way it looks, but I just upgraded to the new Nintendo 3DS non XL. <laughs> the naming. <laughs> it's a it's a really bad name. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of the reasons why that you think they're not going to be producing any classic edition anymore. They want to focus on other. And it's kind of what I've said from day one. Nintendo is not. It's not an infinite. They don't have infinite space, infinite production lines. I, there had to have been some reason why they said they weren't doing it at the time. This was an unknown product, and now that this product is announced, it, I think it makes perfect sense. They've just got other shit on their plate, and this is not something that they care about right now. Well, and that's the- not to apologize for it, because, like I said in the last one, they did a horrible job of communicating with the public. But this is why they can't. They're just—they're not just not doing it to not do it. Let's put it this way. If if the 3DS was dead and gone, let's just say it came out a couple years sooner, there was no replacement, and there wasn't another product coming out, so you basically just had the Switch and nothing else, then maybe they'd be more likely to say, okay, let's put the proper resources into getting this uh, sure. NES Classic done correctly into people's hands that want it more, but being that the Switch is doing well beyond their expectations, they have a new 2DS out, even though the, the NES Classic would still make them money, it's not worth their time in comparison, which to me and you is insane to think about, but to them, that's just how they're doing business in their weird way. It, it, yeah, I, I think... I it, it actually it makes perfect sense to me. I understand why it pisses people off. It it's upsetting to me from that aspect, but it it also makes sense. Sometimes you just have to look at business coldly. Nintendo is doing just fine. One of the reasons why it's because they know what they're doing. <laughs> well, no, that's that was a segue, Ian. Oh, but Mario Kart Eight Deluxe comes out. It comes out at the end of April, right? Yeah, and people are like, "There's no games on this system to buy besides uh, Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, which has an attach rate of like a hundred percent to the system, which over. is which is insane. Mm-hmm. That's insane. Um, I bought it before getting the system. Maybe that's why it was over. People are like, oh, I'm gonna get the Amazon huh. Prime discount before I get the system. Bonnie yeah. goes, "Who does that?" And I was like, "Pat." Yeah, I want to <laughs> save thirteen dollars. There's no reason not to. I said, I said, I said, Pat bought it before he bought the system. She goes, "Okay." Well, yes! I'm not, not a weirdo. I mean, I am, but not for that reason. So, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe comes out. You've had a chance to play it. I have not yet. Uh, but from all scores, I'm, I'm on Metacritic. It has a meta score of 92 out of 100. I guess that's pretty good. I guess it's like their version of Rotten Tomatoes. But all the reviews are like, yeah, it's as awesome as Mario Kart 8 was on the Wii U, but now more gooder because graphics are better. There's more uh, play modes. You have double items. You have a, a proper battle mode, which yes. was the, one of the big errors of the original. And you get all the DLC from the original mm-hmm. for one price. So, yeah, the, the proper the proper battle mode is a is a huge addition, um, and is a lot of fun. Um, it's you know it's got the shine thief mode. It's got your traditional balloon mode, although they handle it a little bit differently. Um, they have. Um, a uh, cops and robbers mode that I don't actually recall ever playing. That's pretty cool. Um, so they 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 not only it wasn't just a tacked on thing where they were just like okay let's shuffle this in. They they really 
did pay attention um, to, to doing the battle mode very well and um, making it feel like a, a this is the big addition to buying the deluxe. Sure, the, 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 the deluxe edition. This is this is this is the meat for the people who who have already purchased this game before. I think this is this is the the big additional chunk, and they did a great job of doing that um, and making it feel like a very um, significant extra portion. Um, and and the battle courses are big. Uh, they they do up to twelve people, and um, even when you're doing against CPU, they're so big. I, I believe you can't even turn the cpu um players off because the courses are so big you'd just be hunting each other down forever trying to find each other when playing them so i so i think what mario kart 8 deluxe tells me and it's sort of the so far the story of the switch itself is that the wii u was a lost generation for nintendo consoles and for, so a, so a, t- and for a ton of players it was sort of like th- the public was either not aware of it at large or was barely aware of it and didn't care, or they, they chose to skip it because they weren't attracted to it. And the Switch comes out and blows away expectations of sales. Nintendo is now doubling the amount they're going to try to produce from $8 million to, two th- to, to $16 million for, for this year, and they'll probably sell all $16 million of those, most likely. If it keeps the, up like this, The yes. way it trends. Because so far, shipments come in, they're gone. Shipments come in, they're gone. Basically, that's what happened with the Wii. And if, no, it's not artificial scarcity. That's not what it is. People are just buying them quicker than Nintendo anticipated. And you, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, this is a shitty system, no one wants it, artificial scarcity, but they're selling selling out and Nintendo's making more and getting them into stores quickly. When I went to my Target when, when the day Mario Kart 8 came out, there was at least 20 to 30 consoles there. Yeah. And I went a week later, they were all gone. And that's the thing. It's getting easier to get them. The, the people I know who want them did not have to pay scalpers. They have them in their hands. Uh, they did not pay overpriced. They maybe had to wait a month, a month and a half, some of them, to find one like you. But basically, everyone I know who wants one now has one and did not have to jump through an exceptional amount of hoops to get one um, if they were patient. And that means that, unlike the Wii, the supply is not as... They're getting them out there fast enough. So if they're still selling out, then that means the demand is... They're selling because people want them. Yeah, it's not a scarcity thing. If yeah. scalpers can't get more than, I think when last time I checked, 375 370 that's very little profit on a $300 system after you include taxes. You're making about 50 bucks At most. Yeah. And, that, and that's if you're selling it locally. If you're selling it on eBay, you're not making much of anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, your mileage may vary, but at this point, I think scalpers lose at this, at this point, uh, 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 two months in. They, they lose. But what's important is that Mario Kart 8 appeals to the public that much more than Legend of Zelda. Yes, Legend of Zelda is a popular franchise. We mm-hmm. know that. It's not a killer app the same way Mario Kart 8 is. It just isn't. It's not on the same scale. If, if it's a tier 2 killer app, we'll just say Mario Kart is the top. Mario Kart's the one that five-year-olds can play easily, adults can play, party game. It's sort of the mixture of everything. It's racing, it's quick arcade experience, it has the cute, lovable characters we all love. It's pretty much one of the most brilliant inventions Nintendo came up with, probably, in terms of having a franchise. I I think they're equal, and I think think now that Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is out, and I thought this when the Switch came out, 
it, and my fears have been unfounded, but um, at the time, I was like, if only 8 Deluxe was coming out with it, this would look so much healthier, because then you've got your meaty single-player experience, and now you've also got your meaty multiplayer experience, and now they do have both of those, and this is why I, I, I think now the purchases of the Switch are only going to go up. Um, how, th- how, how, how much things have changed since launch in, in, in my head, too. Um, remembering how I was talking about how you call it the optics of it. I've never thought of that term, but how I looked at the library and the launch. Um, there's, you know, four good physical titles to pick up on the system now, at least. Puyo Puyo vs. Tetris, which is probably the best puzzle game I've played, I mean... Ever or in recent memory, um, you got Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. You've got uh, Zelda and um, Bomberman. Oz Bomberman is very one good. two switch. Uh, what well, you, you one two switch is fun, but you, I, I mean, no one needs I'm to just go saying, buy right one, now. Two you have about five or six core games sure. that are being pushed, and yeah. then you include Just Dance 2017. Um, again, that's weak overall. But you, again, we're looking at March to early May yeah. of a system being released, and this is, in, in terms of release structures of systems, 3DS was in a similar spot, and it was in a much worse spot when the 3DS came out. There was nothing to buy on the 3DS when oh, yeah. it first came out. And we're only getting closer to the June release of ARMS and the July release of um, Splatoon 2. Sure. And then what else comes up in the fall? But what's important to me, again, this is all anecdotal, when I went to my Target a week afterwards just to check, alright, I bought I bought finally my neon uh, Wii U, my neon Switch the week before. I just wanted to see what was there left. No systems were left, and the spot they didn't have the little little placards out for the price. It was just barren. Then I looked at the game section. There was maybe two copies of each game left. So Mario Kart uh, was almost sold out. Probably two or three left. There was more than the other games. Breath of the Wild had maybe one or two left. But even like 1-2 Switch had one or two left. And even Just Dance 2017 had like one or two left. Which I thought was surprising. So that means that people are hungering for games. And Nintendo put out... I think they they, they may not even wanted to realize that they hit some sort of weird sweet spot for... We know you're hungry for games. And there's not, not a lot out there. So you're just going to buy whatever's out there right now. They, they might have stumbled upon something that didn't happen to 3DS. No, no one went out and bought those launch 3DS titles. No one gave a shit about them. They were just they said we want titles. Give us real games. Yeah. They figured it out with really two major games in the first 6 weeks and then a, a, some filler titles. If you want to say yeah, Bomberman is a great title, how many people really like Bomberman in the grand scheme of things? I mean, that's not going to move a system by itself. That's like a second or third title you get as an extra. That's the Akari Warriors I got for Christmas with all my NES. It's like, yeah, I'll play that game, but I really want to play, you know, a Super Mario Brothers. Yeah. I'm just excited for when we get to the, the summer and we start seeing things that aren't that haven't already been released, uh, sure. is basically what I'm looking forward to. Because back to, you know, the topic here, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe thoughts. Um, high, high selling rate, 45% of Switch owners picked up the game. That's, yeah. According to this article. That's a big attach rate. It is Mario Kart 8. And it, it's hard for me to think on it. you gotta, you got to look at it from two ways. I am just playing Mario Kart 8. I, and I'm falling in love with it all over again. But at the end of the day, and it's nice to have everything unlocked. But, you know, 
it's it's definitely a double dip. It's great that I can lay in bed and play it. I mean, the the portability aspect of it is fantastic. Looks great. It runs great. It's still a fantastic game. Um, Obviously, the people who are going to be uh, most impressed by this, I think, are the people who never really got a chance to play this before, uh, because it's like diving into Scrooge McDuck's money bin. I mean, there's just so much there. We follow the trail from the Wii and... What? All right, I'm gonna get my Sherlock Holmes. No, 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 I'm just, I'm just following the through line <laughs> yeah. of Mario Kart in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So on the Wii, Mario Kart Wii was the highest selling title at almost 40 million. I think it was like 38. Okay. All right, yeah. and that's at about 100 million consoles sold. That's like 40 percent attach rate, which is gigantic. Yeah. When you go up to 100 down to 40. Then you go to the the woeful, woeful Wii U, which had what 10 or 11 million consoles, but out of that. People were dying for a game to play, and so the Mario Kart 8 Wii U sales were 7.37 million. Hmm. They were dying for something to play, but that showed you that 40 million down to 7.3, okay? Yeah. Now you come out with a console that people might actually want to buy who didn't want a Wii U, the Switch, and they see this game, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, out, or they're like, holy shit, I haven't played a Mario Kart game in 10 years since I played it on my, you know, on the Wii. I'm just saying that's potential that could happen. Now they're back in the game again. And that itself could help float the Switch for until the end of the year when Super Mario Odyssey comes out and that'll just, you know, blow it out the door for like, the, you know, the, probably until the first few months of 2018. Right. So Nintendo's in a good spot. I mean, they are. There are some annoying things about Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, uh, such as you haven't played it. So um, there's auto driving assist, which is turned on automatically at the beginning. And you have to turn it off. What does that do? Make sure you stay on the road. Yeah, but it's really just Bu- like bumpers, kind of... bumpers in in, in uh, bowling. Yeah, and uh, I believe that tilt controls are automatically on for additional players. Either that, or they're very. It's very easy to turn on like this driving assist, auto acceleration, tilt controls. Um, yeah, there's some weird stuff with that. Right now, uh, I you can't queue up like you used to be able to to get into a room. It just boot. It, it just boots you out with an error and says uh, you can't... Alright, they'll just yeah. out those bugs. So there's, there's some, of, there's, there's what, some little problems. Do you like having two items back again? Uh, yes, it's not like Double Dash, though, but yes, I do like having two items back. Well, two drivers are oh, yeah. stupid. No, yeah, right, I didn't like the two drivers. Um, but yeah, you can't switch back and forth, but I very much do like having it's, two items. You have a backup. Yes. Backup item. So you get mm-hmm. the second item. Do you use the second item first? The one you just got first, you have to use, or is it still the first it's, one you got? It's the one that you had. It's the one that you've had the longest. You use that one first. Yeah. Okay. So and that's not as bad. It's really nice having two items back again. That's one of the minor additions that I like it, a ton. It, and you can use some strategy when you do that. You can say, oh, yes. "Okay, I got a banana. Let's get a red shell too to sort of have some defense or yeah. something." And then, of course, do you do you like them uh, taking out the fire hopping? I never got good enough to really know how to do that. I so. could do it a little bit, but to me, it breaks the game when you only have a very small amount of people that can do an advanced trick like that. That's really a bug that they're exploiting. Yeah. So I have no problem taking it out. No, I don't have, have no problem. I don't have issues with that either. Sure. So I'm going to get it. Well, I do have it. I, I bought it before before it came out. No. <laughs> <laughs> I primed it, and so I'll play it with you. And, um, yeah, so here's happy sales to, I guess, the Switch so far? I don't know. I, yeah. Uh, Breath of the Wild DLC, though. Sticking with the, uh, Switch. 
Uh, have you played Breath of the Wild? Not at all. Won't touch it until I finish some other games. <laughs> okay. Probably a good thing, because you can get absorbed in it. And I have played about 12 to 15 hours, probably. Bonnie has about 140. Holy shit. Okay, so you can see how immersive it is. And has she done everything in those 140 hours? No, you should try looking at some of the people you're friends with online, because uh, it'll give them their hour rates. A lot of our friends are now close to, like, closing into 200 hours. It's scary big. I mean... It took me, because I didn't realize the, the guy with the axe that helps you chop the tree down and tells you was sleeping at the time, it took me a good four hours to get off the plateau because of that. It probably would have taken me like two and a half, three if I didn't, wasn't running around for a fucking hour. Like, where the hell is the last sh- uh, shrine? Um, but that's, that four hours, though, is basically a tutorial. A giant tutorial. I'm aware uh, of that, yeah. I'm, I'm, yes, you're yeah. talking to other people as well. No, I know. So that just shows you how huge this is. Most tutorials and games are like 10 minutes, 15 minutes long. And it gives you... But you can just get lost in that tutorial area. And then by the time I got into, you know, like six, seven hours, and oh, I got my first wild horse. And it's like, oh, you know. <laughs> and then you talk to people, that personalities. And then, you know, you go to the village and half the girls want to have sex with Link, which is kind of weird, but okay. And then it's a burgeoning world. It really is. And I'm not even probably, what, 10% into the game at that point? I don't know. Right. You know, and I'm like 10, 12 hours into it. That's why I'm not... When people say there's DLC announced for Zelda, that's why I didn't freak out. Because this isn't the sort of game where you had to get the DLC to experience a huge world. Mm -mm. You can get lost in this game. You you can try to find all the... What is there, like 100 shrines or whatever that are splayed about? Mm -hmm. You can probably never even get to, like, a good chunk of those and get lost and still enjoy the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this isn't a, a game where you feel cheated not getting the DLC, in my opinion. In, in so far, me playing it for, like, 12 hours and still not realizing I even cracked the surface of the game. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a, a DLC pack that is necessary, although there does seem like there are some nice things they add to it um, the that are originally there. So, <clears throat> it looks like it's going to add... <clears throat> Um, a couple of things. Um, one looks actually pretty cool to me, uh, called The Trial of the Sword, which is a series of cage matches with Link needing to fight through around 45 rooms. Steel cage match? In total. (laughs) Um, but without any armor or weapons to start. So, um, sounds very roguelike to me in that you basically get, seems like, one shot, but you have to upgrade your armor and your weapons as you go through... Um, the different fights. So not so much a survival mode, or yeah, kind of like a survive a forty-five room survival mode is what it seems like. Um, and the reward is a permanently powered up master sword. Um, there's also <clears throat> um, a new hard mode uh, that ranks up all the enemies to different um, different power levels, um, almost like how in Mario One when you beat it, the uh, Goombas turn into. Buzzy Beetles. Buzzy Beetles. Um, they recover healthy enemies in hard mode, which yep. is interesting. Uh, they also will have better eyesight and he- hearing and live on hot air balloons floating around Hyrule. Okay, that's... What, are they going to just die bomb <laughs> on you? From I don't above? know. That, that's Excuse interesting. Me. Yeah, that last one's a bit of an outlier, the article says, but by successfully reaching these planks, players can battle enemies and collect treasure. So apparently you can ride around in the hot air balloons. Um, but the most exciting feature in this one is big and I, I i feel weird about them charging for this so like, do they, I. they know I... it should have been that should have been in the fucking game um i was astounded by when everyone told me no it's just simply not in there 
Um, oh no, this one is fine. I'm not okay. So the hero's path is interesting. So, um, you it will show you a path that you've taken over the past two hundred hours of play, so you can kind of track how you've walked. That's interesting to me. Um, the one that I'm not so thrilled about, not just being an update, is called the Travel Medallion, which is um, fast travel, which is in every single game like this. And the fact that it's being bundled what? in with uh, DLC and not as part of a an obvious update is kind of annoying to me. Well, well, there is the fast travel through the shrines. Right, but not anywhere else. No, but shrines are placed fairly close to a lot of things in the game, though, so far. Okay. Right. I mean, it's not like uh, well, every area has multiple shrines. I only right? know what I've, I've heard from Vani, and yes, there is a lot of shrines. But you have but to still... defeat them first to use them. Oh, do you? Yes. Okay. So that's the key. That's sort of the impetus to going into, because you don't have to go into the shrines. Right. The, the only other impetus going into the shrines, past the ones off the first plateau, is to get the um, the little, you get orbs. four orbs to update yeah. your stamina or, or your total number of hearts. Right. But then besides that, once you defeat it, you can teleport anywhere in the map where you are to one of those shrines. Okay. So, so it's not that big of a deal. No, uh, but the hero's path to me, that's cheap putting that as DLC to me. That's where I'm going to be a little critical. That's such a small thing they could just they should have just they could they could have put in the game as something you had to either find yourself that you put on your tablet that maybe you have to venture somewhere you get you know what I mean like that's something I think that that to me is a little cheesy that part of it that's that's something that's a little cheesy for me but again that's one of the the larger. You know, that's one of a larger package, so it's not like you're paying five bucks just for that. Right. So it's going to be, what, nineteen ninety nine for this. Um, to me, that's reasonable. And you, I mean, you also get, uh, let's see, there's other clothes in the game and other stuff. You can get uh, the creepy tingle outfit. So there you go, if you want to do that. I think it's not a bad deal for 20 bucks, just because, again, if you don't get this stuff, you can still enjoy the game. The game is fucking huge. I'm afraid to play it, uh, just because one of those games is going to draw me in. And like I said, I spent like four hours playing it one Saturday morning. I was like, okay, I gotta stop because I can play it forever. I can just go and start taming horses for three hours, you know, and name them Lucy and Michelle. You know, I don't, you know, like it's just one of those sort of games where you can get lost. And uh, yes, and of course, there's been other open world games, but I think for Zelda, the magic and sort of um, there's a different majesty. does it. The majesty around sort of the story of Zelda, I think, brings it to, to me that other level versus running around in a fake LA shooting people in the face. Yeah. You know, I think <laughs> I think there's a little bit difference between those two sort of uh, motifs. Okay. Yes. In a little bit of YouTube news. Okay. Uh we we originally spoke about Disney buying Maker Studios, one of the larger larger MCNs on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh multi-channel network. That's why we're so gray. We've been doing it. We were around for the the birth of the the, the, the purchase, and now we're, we're around for the for death. death. Uh, and that was in April 2014 for almost a billion. It was 950 million dollars. Fucking insane. At the time, we surmised at least at least I did. You probably agreed that this was a long play from Disney. Yes. To basically get into the game from their perspective easily and cheaply to get into the YouTube world, to By get into the buying a Buying a pre, pre-made base. Buying a, uh, an entity that already exists, not have to worry about investing in their own infrastructure, getting their own employees, getting their own quote-unquote YouTube influencers. We buy a base, we have something to start with and play with now. It's like bullion. Yes, sure. And to us, a billion dollars is pocket change to, to, to uh, Mickey. Mickey's <laughs> billion dollars! I don't know. Expensive bullion. So, so, now it's come to pass that 
they're kind of rolling up Maker Studios, and now it's the uh, sort of the Disney Digital Network. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah, so it you know didn't seem like it was particularly um, great for them. Um, the article said it's donezo. So what they're doing is they're rolling it up. Uh, Polaris is still allowed... Uh, Polaris is a namesake uh, for the gaming sort of right. part of Maker Studios. That's going to still exist. But in terms of Maker as an entity, that's pretty much washed away. Right. And they're going to keep up to 300 channels um, on the network. But it sounds like what they want to basically do is use them to push Disney products, Disney entities, Disney IPs, which does make sense. It's it's in market advertising, it, or it, it's it, on that in network in, in network advertising, basically. Um, and then they're going to start using the you know this new Disney um, network to use for uh, like YouTube. Uh, they also want to do portable like uh, iPhone stuff. They want to do short format shows. They want to do short video. And basically you're going to start seeing stuff like Science and Star Wars. An episodic series that explores and explains you know science, fantasy, Star Wars and real science. Um, Disney IRL. Uh, whatever that is. Uh, iconic animated Disney characters to real life. Disney design challenges, Disney magical starts. There's a lot of Disney. Uh, if if yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go through some of these. Might as well. On oh my Disney oh digital my. digital destination for a daily dose of Disney, capturing the zeitgeist through a Disney lens. Oh, the zeitgeist. Disney style, exploring the intersection of Disney stories and characters with what's trending in fashion, nail art, hairstyles, and cosmetics. Disney family, aiming to bring parents and kids through Disney crafts and do-it-yourself projects, recipes, and activities featuring Mouse House characters and stories. I guess that's what the term is for Mickey and Friends out Mouse House. Oh, I guess. Back Parenting community site where contributors share their experiences and give readers a forum to bond and learn. Polaris from Maker featuring original content from community of gaming personalities, including talk shows, animation, and games to life content. And StarWars.com and the Star Wars app. The digital destinations for all things related to the galaxy far, far away. The network programs content for Star Wars fans of all ages across social and digital platforms. And they have shows, Science and Star Wars. Oh My Disney, Club Mickey Mouse, Disney in Real Life, Coin, a- animated action comedy on Maker's Players with game-inspired aesthetic that follows a team of misfits tasked to save the world. All right. I love it whenever the zeitgeist is captured through certain lenses. Yes. Disney Design <laughs> Challenge and Disney Magical Starts. So they have a mission. This was, uh, to me, always their goal. Yeah, yes. I think for the first couple of, the couple of years, they wanted to see how this sort of played out with their purchase. Does that make sense? Unfortunately... When they first purchased a uh, maker, you had the Starcade sort of uh, show going on with Jontron, mm-hmm. where originally, according to my sources, it was supposed to be at least a couple dozen, uh, a couple dozen shorts series of of Jontron doing basically reviewing every single Star Wars game to, in order to lead up to the release of the Force Awakens. Right, and we we lined up kind of that in December of two thousand and. Um, was it 2015 or 14? I forget. Uh, but anyway, that was lined up and planned. You had a bunch lined up. They only, I think, produced about seven of those out of those. And I thought that was supposed to be a lot more than that. supposed to be a lot more. So I think Disney's first sort of look into the YouTuber world wasn't a positive one because there's no way they made their money back on that adventure. 
No. They made an entire huge Millennium Falcon set. You had a whole team of, of writers, editors, special effects uh, working with John. I'm not sure what John got paid. Probably was a decent amount. So what you had then was uh, Disney trying to say, okay, let's see what the influencers on YouTube can do. And I don't think it paid dividends for them. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying that was that, uh, that sort of investment could have led to this decision, but probably could have colored it a bit to say, okay, what do we have here? Well, it was also mentioned that you know when when it came to looking at what was actually produced, it was entirely inefficient. Mm-hmm. Um, that they were um, looking at what they were making, and it was costing more and coming out less quality than what they were expecting to see. Well, sure, it's always an investment. So if I'm going to invest all this money in, into this program. Uh, and spend potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I'm making back pennies on the dollar, and people already know about Star Wars anyway. Yeah. Like, I, w- I would not have needed to invest that money to begin with. So I'm really just losing. I'm, I'm just wasting money and resources at this point. Versus buying in, like we said, buying into influencers that have millions and millions of, of possibly a, a billion or more collectively of subscribers, now let's work with those partners or have them come in the shows that we want to do. Right. That may not even be Star Wars related, but just Disney in general. And then, of course, now we own Marvel. Now we own uh, Star Wars. And we can sort of sprinkle that in when we need it. Right. It, it's sort of... It's almost like the new Disney Channel, but it's on YouTube. Yeah. Does the Disney Channel still exist on TV? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it won't matter in the future because kids... Growing up, are just going to be on their iPads looking at you know YouTube Disney and not the Disney Channel on TV. So, so there you have it. And and all these, for the most part, all these people that are going to be cut from Maker, they're going to land on their feet elsewhere. Other other MCNs are going to uh, scoop them up if they haven't done it already. So it, n- they're not going to lose out. It's just sort of Disney taking their investment and sort of refining, I think, to what they originally wanted to uh, you know do it with. Yeah, I think this was kind of a, a, a telegraphed. This episode of the CU Podcast, Ian, is sponsored by the Frame Savers Podcast at www.theframesavers.com. Are you a fan of retro video games, but just don't have enough time to play them all? That's like, I don't have time to play all these games on the dusty-ass shell. No. (laughs) (laughs) You could if you just learn to go fast. And the Frame Savers is a retro video game podcast that can help. Listen as Chad and John review some of your favorite games, like Final Fantasy VII, Super Mario Bros., The Legend of Zelda, Link to the Past, along with some of the worst games ever made. Bubsy 3D, Wand of Gamillion, ooh, that was a CDI Zelda game, <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, oof. Each episode, Chad and John discuss one game, diving into the history of it, discussing their experiences, playing and telling you how to, how the top speedrunners speedrun them. Wow. Here are interviews from such streamers as Super Mario Brothers world record holder, Darbian. We brought him up before in the podcast. Nice. And learn all about how all the cool tricks and glitches you have seen actually happen. The frame savers has a little bit for everyone, from the gaming historian to the collector to the casual player and speedrunner. The Frame Savers can be found at www.theframesavers.com and on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and anywhere else. Podcasts are downloaded, so show some love to the fellas at The Frame Savers. Thanks. Hey, Ian, you're laughing at this, but you won't be laughing for long. You've seen, you saw Stranger Things? No, I haven't. you got to check it out. It's the hottest Netflix series. It takes place in 83. It's like Stephen King-esque. Well, yeah, Luke created a really cool t-shirt last month. Oh, that right looks here. actually pretty awesome. I like the color tone. If you're listening to this, you're not watching it. It's a pretty cool shirt <laughs> from Stranger Things. <laughs> Ian, you have a figure I had in the one. last month's 
And these are actually, I, I like these. Uh, it's the, uh, they're the uh, Q figs, which are um, very nicely done. They're uh, very, like, stylized, uh, almost old-timey looking. And that's Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. And that uh, was, that, so that was uh, last month's loot crate. Kicking down a wall. <laughs> so this month is Guardians for Loot Crate. You know? Um, the Guardians is going to include Guardians of the Galaxy 2 stuff, Star Wars, Destiny, and the Goonies. I mean, come on. So you have until the 19th at 9 p.m. to sign up at LootCrate.com slash Pat, enter code Pat, P-A-T, to save 10% off any new subscription if you want to go and do that. I want the Goonies stuff. Goonies, Goonies. I'm actually looking forward to that. I want to see what... I mean, Goonies is a franchise that they've been rumored to do the sequel for like 10 years now. Well, no, no. Dick Donner will do fine. He'll he'll (laughs) do fine with the sequel. Richard Donner. He'll be fine. Um, But there's always some good stuff. You see me wearing uh, usually the Power Rangers green and white Ranger Mm t-shirt. The t-shirts are always quality, honestly, by themselves. You know, you get a good amount of value there. For a little price. Oh, I'm going to give that... There's a Batman uh, color-changing mug. I'll probably give that to Frank. He'll probably get a kick out of that. So, Ian, you like Loot Crate. I do. I like the pin that came this month or last month, too. Oh, sure. And there's also, though, you want if you want to check out uh, the gaming, the Loot Gaming, it's, it's a teeny bit more money, but you get a lot of value in it, and it's Road Rage coming at you um, with an exclusive Tracer cute but deadly figure is going to be uh, in the new Loot Gaming crate. Uh, I don't have it on me to show you that, unfortunately. And there's going to be an Assassin's Creed shirt. So it's your choice, whatever you want. Uh, there's going to be Destiny, Rocket League, Twisted Metal, Mario Kart in this month's Loot Gaming. Over a $60 value for less than 25 bucks a month. You can get that as well. Uh, just go to LootCrate.com slash Pat. Enter code Pat when you check out. And save 10%. Thanks, Loot Crate, for being a proud sponsor of the CU podcast and finally ian you need to shave you need to shave ian i'm not you, shaving you know how you can use a good razor i shaved my beard mm-hmm. you know what, you know what helped got the job done dollar shave club oh helped get the job done that's <laughs> could, could they cut through this for us you think <laughs> why, why don't you try it <laughs> it's only a dollar right it's a dollar you go to dollarshaveclub.com slash cu podcast you get one month membership for only a dollar with free shipping. No commitments. You can cancel any time. So I got the uh, the executive razor, and it came with four cartridges, and it was a smooth shave. Made you handsomer, too. Maybe more handsome? More, more handsome. More, more gooder, more ham- more, handsomer? More hammy. More, more hammy? <laughs> yes. It's a fine razor. You can use it on your face, but other body parts probably as well. Yeah. It doesn't specify where, where you can and cannot use the razor. Need to shave your butt. Shave your butt. You got a tough unibrow out there. You want to get take care of that. I had one in high school. We all did. Yeah. Take care of it. Get it, get the job done. Got some bad neck hair sprouting up. Some some calf hair. I guess. I have calf. I have a lower. I have a I have a patch of lower back hair. You have a soul patch. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get Von and you get that Dollar Shave Club <laughs> shaver. Get rid of it. Uh, so. You know, it's a good value. It's good razor. I I got it. I can testify to that. Again, go to dollarshaveclub.com slash podcast. It's only a buck. Free shipping. No commitments. Cancel. Cancel anytime. But hey, you may not want to. I'm just saying. It's, take care of that soul patch on your back. Cashews anytime. You want to talk Wolfenstein 3D? Uh, I mean, we can. It's the 25th anniversary, right? Or, or, yeah, it was on uh, May 5th. 
Uh, two thousand and two thousand. Nineteen ninety-two. That's twenty-five years. Yeah. Cinco de Killer Nazis. <laughs> Do you remember the first time you played Wolfenstein 3D? What your thoughts were, and you know, you were a youngin, right? You're barely, you're not even hitting puberty yet. Probably. Even even more so, I, I I remember the first time I saw it in a, a shareware catalog. Um, See, I never had any shareware catalog. I was just looking at what came with the, the CD, ROM, or disc. Or being whatever. solicited and looking at it and seeing screenshots and being like, "Holy shit, I need to play this because." I, I hadn't really seen anything like it. And I actually played um, my first experience with with it and its engine was actually um, I, I played a shareware version very soon after of Catacomb 3D, which was the precursor, which was a precursor to uh, um, Wolfenstein. Uh, it was the test engine that um, I believe John Carmack was using. Um, it was a uh, hover tank 3D, and uh, I think it was a. Uh, and that was uh, released as an actual game. Yeah, and Catacomb 3D were like his his tests uh, using that engine before um, Wolfenstein came out, and then Wolfenstein came out and was just you know so much more. Um, you know the graphics were better, and there was there was more uh, meat and potatoes to it. Um, but yeah, that game, you know, I mean changed the way I looked at what you could do with PC gaming. You know, at that point I was just used to... Well, games to, in general, yeah, I'll, I'll argue. Yeah. Um, so, it was pretty big. I didn't spend nearly as much time with Wolfenstein as I did uh, Doom later. I don't think I ever played beyond the first shareware chapter of Wolfenstein. Uh, uh, I didn't either when it first came out. Yeah. Uh, I had my copy, which I, I tweeted out. Was at Comp USA. I saw um, Escape from World War Two Prison. Great, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah fun time. Yeah, um, it was on the shelf. Like when you walked up, you looked to the left. There, mm-hmm. there was a, I forget if it was like a comic book stack, but they have a bunch of shareware titles. Yeah, and it was right there. And it was like the Micro Star was the local distributor that got them into Comp USA. It was, well, I think it was like five ninety nine or so, and that was a good value for because remember when you got shareware that first episode or first part of the game that was a full game for the most part. Yeah. I mean, yes, you can probably tear through it like in 25 minutes if you knew where everything is. But the, when you're getting a game for the first time like that, for first of all, there was no games that cost only five, six bucks on computers back then. You're paying yeah. still 30 bucks for a game, 40 bucks for a game. And it was, it's revolutionary for a game that cheap to be paying five, six bucks to try out a game like that. And what was sign 3D? It solidified the shareware model. That would exist for what next three, four, or five years after that. Like, yeah. and this Basically, was a game that, one episode for free, two, two that you buy, you know, to to complete the the game. Oh sure, sure. And then you can buy the other three, which were the nocturnal missions, which were when you went after was it Doctor Faust and the and the zombies. Maze, yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, if you want to kill Hitler, yeah, you got to call that number or mail in your check. Yeah, and then mail you back the game because I I got one person say, oh, I can't believe you paid for shareware. Why didn't you just download that? Ninety two. How the fuck am I going to download that? I didn't have internet in my house till about 95. I remember, um, yeah, there was actually an argument we had once in the comments with someone who was like, uh, no, that's not legal. I'm like, no, they charge you for the diskette and the packaging. They explicitly said, share this. It's shareware. Yeah. Give it to other people because it, it was marketing to them to yes. buy the full version. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but they're not going to give you a disc for free. <laughs> no, they, they don't yeah. want to lose money. Yeah, exactly. You know, they want to get something back yeah. for the disc. So you game. download it for free, or you pay the five bucks to skip the hassle of downloading it, and you you end up with a disc that you can overwrite later if you want to. And then you can sell on eBay twenty five years later for seventy dollars because everyone wants to for some reason now buy Wolfenstein three D shareware. I don't know, it's weird. Really? Some of them are, go for money. 
Honestly, because I guess if they're localized and weird, you know... That's crazy. Well, in general, Wolfenstein 3D, I was looking at some of the software, I guess there's some versions that are harder to find. Like the, the actual Apogee version, box, big box version, is hard to find. That goes for a ton of money. I figured that would probably go for a lot. Because I don't remember ever seeing that no. ever. No. I would see it re-released or packed in with Doom, you know, a couple years later. But yeah, when you think about think about ever walking into a CompUSA or Computer City, which was the competitor, and trying to find a version of, of Wolfenstein 3D that wasn't just shareware, and it's hard to think of that. I do remember seeing, like, the Mac version coming out a couple years later, and right. seeing that version. I, I don't think I recall ever seeing a PC big box version, though. But why was Wolfenstein 3D so important? It really did two things at a time, which I think scared some people. It made games feel more immersive due to the third-person realism. Which, yes, there were third-person games to that point, mostly dungeon crawlers on, on computers in the 80s. They weren't done like this with real you know, voice audio sounds, and it didn't have that depiction of violence and blood and shooting people. And I think that combination made people like, holy shit, this is different. It ratcheted up the level of um, maturity that, that people were not expecting to see, I don't think, at that point in video games. That you had only seen a, a few other times before, here and there, um, you know, and, and mostly... Mostly played for shock value, like in, in things like Chiller. Um, oh yeah. Whereas you know Wolfenstein is is you know primitive as it might be by you know uh, by today's standards. You know it was actively woven in as part of the storyline. And if you look, if you try to go back and look at some of the original reviews of the game, that's what they say. It's like it's it's so immersive that yes, if you can get past what they said was like sh- almost shocking violence at the time, which now makes you go like hee hee shocking violence. But at the time it was. Mm-hmm. And this is for the ESRB. Um, so games are still, at least console games are still for kids, computer games more for adults, so I doubt many kids would have stumbled upon Wolfenstein 3D, five-year-olds, even though I bought it for myself, but I was a little bit older, I had my allowance money, only cost six bucks, they didn't, six bucks, six bucks it cost. Six bucks. It cost six bucks, and I bought it at my Comp USA and enjoyed that first episode, and I played it multiple times. Um, but it did establish, it's cliche, you can go watch certain gaming historians video about about the you know how, how important Wolfenstein 3D was but it basically established everything we know about first person shooters multiple weapons you, you know uh, health packs secrets you know it, the structure of room by or level by level mm-hmm. you know these were things that you took for granted before that this helped solidify and yes you got to kill nazis and you got to kill a uh, robo hitler if you bought into the episode with, four, with 14 guns or something like that. But what was also important was was the fact that the game was so easily uh, moddable uh, that you I remember within a couple years or a year later, you had all these other versions of Doom on Shareware. There was a version where you know you had TIE fighters flying around you had yeah. to shoot. You know uh-huh. what I mean? Yep. You probably remember that one. It was so easy just to map your own graphics to the characters and to the walls and put in your own sounds, it was almost like probably how easy it is for now for app games you produce where you buy the shell and you just plug in your own your own elements. But that was one of the first games that you could do that. Mm-hmm. And then Doom built upon that. But Wolfenstein was really, you know, the first game to make that easy uh, to do with, what, what were they called? At least on Doom. Um, Doom, they were WAD files. WAD files. I'm not sure what they were on Wolfenstein, what they were called. Yeah, but. I can't recall. Might have been the same, but I don't think so. But then, of course, it spawned the the glut of first-person shooters. 
um, Rise of the Triad was was based on a more advanced engine, Wolfenstein engine. They licensed it out for games like Blake Stone, which I remember I had the shadow version of that, where every time you shot the guy's arm fell off. Which I Rise was of the Triad was after Doom, actually. I think that was on a, a slightly more advanced engine than that, even. But but they're all yeah. go back to the Wolfenstein engine, though. Doom was built upon it. it was, yeah. Um, and then you had uh, the game with the ninja. I forget that had. Uh, then you have. Then you have Duke Shadow Duke. Warrior, Shadow Warrior spawned from Duke Nukem. Duke Nukem. Um, you had the Blood Games. You had uh, oh, that's right, the Blood Games. The first Blood was really good, actually. But, um, but you had Hexen. You had Heretic. Hexen, Heretic. I think I played Heretic. Heretic is the first one. Hexen so, was the second one with like the hub world. So, bef- so, be- so think about before Wolfenstein and then Doom a year later, '93. You have a whole new genre of game for the most part that erupts and then pretty much dominates the next decade going into then of course Half-Life in the late 90s and now we look at first person shooters they're like the biggest video game genre and, and the genre is only 25 years old so it's, it's, it's sort of a ma- an amazing mini story uh, to me uh, Wolfenstein how imagine games before first person shooters and afterwards there really hasn't been that big of a switch I think in gaming since then no I also it also makes me sad though because with the rise of it I remember playing you know PC games heavily at the time um, it seemed to directly correlate to the death of uh, the PC adventure game as well oh sure it didn't help it, it I absolutely mean, didn't I, I yeah I, I I mean it's not the only cause but you know as soon as stuff like Doom and Wolfenstein came out you know everyone's suddenly focusing on that um, and I think Doom more than Wolfenstein was kind of the the big one that pushed everyone into making first person shooters, and suddenly, you know, Lucas Arts games aren't selling anymore. And Sierra. No one cares. Yeah, Sierra games. Oh, sh- I would say yes, but at the same time, having Doom on the PC opened up uh, so many new gamers to a new platform that weren't there before. Sure, people were getting computers in the mid '90s already, but something like having "quote unquote" a killer app like Doom on it that, you know, the console versions. Not as good, no. You know, and then Wolfenstein certainly. Well, for Wolfenstein, you can make an argument, but not for Doom. You know, the PC version, you know, was 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 great and still good. Yeah. You know, um, very important. Uh, both of those games, obviously, both from good old id software. Still have my sweatshirt somewhere. So raise a glass for Wolfenstein 3D. And we'll probably do the same next year uh, for good old Doom. Raise your water. Ian's got his. Uh, is Nestle water, which is probably the worst uh, bottle of water out there, but that's okay. I still love you, Ian. Uh, wh- what was your favorite uh, favorite memory of Wolfenstein? You have one particular or no? Just playing it for the first time, like after, like honestly, like staring at these screenshots you in the magazine. You see the dead guard in front of you. Yeah, like just playing it, like for the first time, was honestly my favorite memory because I just, I, I don't know. It was it was very neat to see that. My Laban. Yeah, actually, yeah, <laughs> the, the the voice samples as well. Hot, hot. All right, all right. So, Since my baby left me, <laughs> so bear with us here. Bear with us here, folks, while we talk about a very interesting topic. So, the world of Elvis Presley collectibles. Was we've talked about Ellis Collectibles plenty of times in the podcast. Yes, we have. Um, we've brought it up almost <laughs> as many times as Amoebas. Yes, and a certain a certain uh, heat game. Yeah, 
maybe a book. Um, Elvis, Elvis Collectibles, man. We should really do a best of our Elvis Collectibles. <laughs> a whole playlist on YouTube. Oh, so Elvis Collectibles was a, it, it was a massive market. Um, Elvis was everywhere. I mean, collector plates on TV. The collector plates on TV. You see, like, like the Time Life music collections. The original movies. Sun Records signals, uh, singles. All of the all of the different pressings and records and versions of his music, his movies, his memorabilia, just all of this nonsense. And um, a lot of it was. Shh, I don't care if it's your birthday. Um, a lot of this, you know, would fetch a lot of money in the heyday of Elvis collecting. Um, 80s, 90s. Yeah, and I would probably say 70s, too. And, for instance, you know, things would go for a lot. You know, uh, the original Five Sun singles would, at one point in time, according to this article, fetch, uh, you know, 25,000 pounds. And that's an insane amount of money. Um, you know, the original That's All Right record would fetch 4,000 pounds. Um, but in recent years, the worth of Elvis merchandise has been um, plummeting. And it really kind of started to gel and people started to notice uh, around 2015, a one-of-a-kind Elvis acetate um was to go to auction and uh it was um it was said that it was probably going to sell for about twelve thousand pounds and it only achieved half of that and when the article writer went to go look into this um the first person he wanted to ask was an expert on on elvis memorabilia and and he found that the collector was this expert was was dead oh okay so this ties into uh, why this set of this, this, this sort of uh, this subset of collecting is seeing the value of their um, their collectibles, uh, their Elvis memorabilia, go down. The people who are interested in Elvis collectibles are getting old enough to the point where they're either sadly dying off, or they're not interested in it anymore. And in the instance of them dying off. They are left with these large collections that their families and children need to get rid of when cleaning out the estate. And the markets are getting flooded with Elvis collectibles, and there aren't nearly as many people out there looking for them. So the value of these things are just, you know, they're, they're, they're well, shedding pounds by the days. Um, and... A lot of people were looking forward to using these. I mean, they were, you know, this is, people looked at these things sometimes as this is money that's always going to be worth money and I'm going to hold on Collectibles to it. Collectibles are always going to be worth yeah. something at least. So I can right. hold on to it. Then later on, if I get rid of it, I can later. sell this, retire, you know, use this, you know, for something else or something or another. And, you know, very quickly, it looks like that's not going to be the case for this. Um, they mentioned a, uh, something on Discogs, which is interesting, which is, you know, um, a, a, a record collecting website and database. You can do purchases there, but they keep track of how much like records have sold over the past. I think it's like fifty copies on a website. Okay, and you know there are also you know how like you can buy paper like buying guides for comics or or toys or collectibles. <clears throat> well, they're kind of being 
I mean, that's kind of outdated. Uh, a record collecting guide listed one of the Elvis records at being worth one hundred and twenty-five dollars. Well, one hundred twenty-five pounds. One hundred twenty-five pounds. Um, on Discogs, it was uh, it's being shown as averaging like thirteen and a quarter. Uh, like the past ten copies having been sold. So there, there's a disconnect between these past prices versus where they are today. Yes. And you can always just say, well, there's a, there's a steep decline. And that's because there's less new collectors maybe getting into it, but the older ones are, are, are disappearing. Yeah. They're getting older. This has, been, this has been a hobby for 40 years now almost, collecting Elvis merchandise. So people that were maybe 30 starting or 40 or 70, 80 are dying. Yeah. And what happens when those people die? Well, it's like I said... Back it's, in the market, yeah, and, and, and there isn't a new a new set of collectors that take their place. What happens to that merchandise? It sits, yeah, into the void. So why are we talking about this, Ian? Well, because it <laughs> because video games, because video games, <laughs> because video games. Um, it, it was an interesting article to read because it it's it, Pat and I have always had this thought and this feeling, and I'm sure lots of people do too. People who are sitting on these video game collections thinking that they're going to be worth money forever and ever um, need to realize that there is oftentimes an expiration date for interest or high-level popular interest um, when it comes to uh, a, a hobby, sure, especially a collecting hobby. You're going to have people who are always going to be still interested, who are people who are interested in these in these things. There are people who are always going to be interested in Elvis. Um, sure. And there are going to be people. They still who are, sell the records. Yeah, you know they they print a new a new vinyl. I'm sure it sells. Uh, there are people who are always going to be interested in vintage video games. It's just going to be a hobby. But there's you have to have main you have to have some sort of mainstream appeal for for this to to hold monetary value, and and it's all about pop. It's, it's not going to always hold the monetary value. It's all about populations. Yeah. So what I've seen, at least in the quote unquote. A hobby is that I saw it reach a point where I saw more collectors than I ever had before. Probably you want to say 2014, where all of a sudden it's the busiest I've ever seen it. Okay, prices shoot up to an astronomical level versus what they were before. I say 2014 is what I saw. Have game prices increased since 2014? Absolutely, they have. Not to the same degree that they had before that. Right. They haven't gone up to that same sort of exponential point. They've stopped. They've they've either leveled off. Some games have gone down in prices since then. We always talk about Earthbound being a nice watermark. Where that was two fifty at one point. Now it's like one seventy five. You know, that's a decrease from a high uh, level. And yes, you always like Ian said, you're always going to have people interested in retro video games. But we're all we all are going going to get older. And the question is going to be, is that when me and Ian either get out of the hobby and our games go back into the wild, or like I said, I have no collectors that are getting rid of uh, their entire collection. And it's not just a couple. And this isn't Pat trying to control the market. I'm just reporting what I see happen. Um, when that happens, will you have the same amount of people then get into it to replenish that pool, the population pool of buyers and collectors? Right. It's, and I don't see it happening for a couple of reasons. Because the, the people that are going to collect it hardest and the most are going to be the people like these Elvis collectors that are dying off that were around when it was originally popular. When they originally were listening to Elvis when they were teenagers and now they want that, that collector's cup or that, that freaking plate. or You know what I mean? They want that. Yeah. They, it, they have a connection. We have a connection to the NES. 
that 15-year-old that's now listening to Elvis, are they going to want to go back 30 years afterwards and collect the same stuff that the, that the 80-year-old had because they were originally around when Elvis was alive? Well, that well, that 15-year-old that's playing Super Mario Brothers on the emulator now or playing it on their on their to them an old Game Boy Advance. You know, oh my god, it's so old and retro. Are they going to want to buy games from the 80s? Right. That only are going to work on not, maybe not the original hardware. You got to figure out how to use it with a CRT. Or are they going to say, you know what? I like the games. I'll play some of the games, but I don't need to have the physical version of those games. Sure. And that's sort of where we, I think, are at. Where in pop culture, retro gaming is as big as it's ever going to be, or or as big as I've seen it. When you see commercials uh, for McDonald's or freaking Kellogg's cornflakes and you see Mario on I'm like okay that's it that's the evidence I need that if major marketing and advertisers realize there's a market there there's a market there mm-hmm. to advertise other products not related to video games or retro video games but were those people that we uh, we see at a huge convention like Portland are they going to want to buy the old games or do they simply like the culture of retro video games right. and want to be and they want to have maybe a cool t-shirt or they want to have a, a keychain, you know what I mean? Or they want to have some pixel art, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that that same person is go out and, and spend thousands of dollars on a fucking little Samson. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that's, those those are, those are the ones that burn off first, and you lose that. I mean, that's interest out of the pool. Sure. And there's there's other analogs. Uh, we've seen it with even. In a, in, a, in a smaller way, with the, like Ian said, with Atari games and Atari collectors, Atari games were super hot. Uh, yeah, I, I always like, use that in other in other examples. Just within video games, um, you know, just uh, yeah, to use an example within that, that this culture specifically, Atari collecting the 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 value of a lot of the more expensive ones in the '90s is now half that. Because for the same reasons, people get are getting older, you have less collectors to fill the gaps of the ones that are either, either getting out or, or could be dying. Atari collectors, uh, the average age of Atari collectors has to be late 40s, early 50s by now, because we're talking 10, 15 years before a lot of people were playing the NES, right? Um, they have their games. So when any new games that they've pop out, them, right? they, they got them. They've, they've had them forever. Mm-hmm. So how many new Atari collectors are you going to see get into the game in this day and age? And I always think it's cute because I always talk about how we do get a lot of teenagers who are into it, but you're not going to replace all those collectors. Absolutely not. And they're not going to be, again, one that's going to go for, I want to get every Atari game, which is impossible. I want to get 600 Atari games. No, they want like 10 or 20 or 30, mm-hmm. and they're going to be happy. And that could be the same with the NES. People are always going to want those 10 or maybe 20 or 30 games even, but who the fuck... It, it, you know, seventy years from now is going to really care about goal two. Yeah, who the hell is really going to care about getting the NES version of Overlord, even if it's uncommon or hard to find? I'm trying to find a great example. You got a, you got a big wall. Conan Ferrari <laughs> Grand Prix Challenge, a game Conan. that you reviewed. Conan, you review that God, that game in a fuck, certain NES guidebook. Fuck that game. But that, that's a point though. Does that, yeah. that make sense to anyone? That you, it's going to be the same way as probably as comics. Yeah, yeah, Pat, that makes great sense. Woo! I can hear him. Pat! Is that what, what, what the fan base says? <laughs> yeah. The subscribers are? Um, common games people want to play, and maybe those few quote-unquote holy grails will be oddities that might be out there. But then for 80% of the games, who the hell cares? I mean, who the hell cares if if you know if people are really going to want to uh, play Destiny of an Emperor 70 years from now on the NES? I don't know. A couple people will. Are people going to want to own it? No. So that's how we made the segue from Elvis collectibles 
terrestrial video games like this. So what I'm saying is, don't go out and don't sell your collection. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Please uh, stick to the rivers and the lakes that you use. I think it comes back to... Mm-mm-mm. Damn it, I love TLC. Mm-hmm. Um, Me too. Buy these games, love these games, because you actually love them for what they are. They're fun, historical value, but if investing, no. Invest in a business, land, or fucking stocks. That's why I always come back to. Because there's always going to be winners or losers when it comes to collectibles like that. Look up those Star Trek collectors played in the 90s and see how much they're worth nowadays. Probably not that much. Of course, someone will find, find one that's worth like a, you know, $10 million. <laughs> alright, alright. I think I, I okay. Hanging in for, yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for the next two. Ian? Do we have a scumbag? Yeah, we do. We have a we have a scumbag seller of of, the, of the week of my birthday of your birthday because we're recording this on my birthday. The scumbag seller of, of Pat- birthday Pat- boys <laughs> day day <laughs> day. And Ian, who's the scumbag? Uh, this scumbag seller is the Card Guru Thirty Three. Now, by the time you might, might be listening to this, this auction might have ended, but it's still worth talking about, plus from the other things the person's selling. But, Ian, what are they trying to sell here? An NWC Gold 1990 Nintendo oh World Championships NES game cartridge reproduction. Oh. Uh, with the humble starting bid of one ninety nine ninety nine, or the... Fucking steal of a deal price. Uh, buy it now of four hundred and ninety nine dollars and ninety nine cents. Okay, five hundred would have been too rich for my blood, but four ninety nine ninety nine. Deal. Uh, here's the description. Please, in, in all caps. So just picture me yelling it. Please note this item is shipped directly to you from China. This is a reproduction of the famous nineteen ninety World Championships game cartridge that plays exactly like the original. Let's see how you stack up against the world's best on real hardware. You need an apostrophe there. The card is complete with dip switches, which can be set up for the official contest time of six twenty one. So in the past, there's been reproductions of the game, uh, the most famous one on RetroUSB.com, which is a fine reproduction. Mm-hmm. I like it. It has dip switches, and, and you cannot mistake it for the original. And it has a cute little, yeah, translucent shell. Like blue or red version they have. I like the blue one. Good old Bunny Boy, RetroUSB. Um, I have a couple problems with this. I don't know what this cartridge looks like, but the image that you have is of the of a real gold one, right? Not just that, Eagle-eyed eBay viewers will be able to tell that the image used with the gold in the background was pulled from a certain AVGN NWC episode that a certain NES punk was a part of. (laughs) So, doubtful it looks like that, but we don't know what it looks like. But if it looks like that, that's a real cart picture there. That's not a repro. Uh, Then the second picture is just screenshots thrown together. So, it's just a really weird listing because even if you wanted the repro to look like the original this is like a this is like a paradoxical scumbag yeah. because say you wanted to buy this to trick yourself or friends that this is a real gold one I can almost guarantee you that what you buy is not going to be what's pictured first and foremost mm-hmm. or if it does it's going to look really shoddy so why not just show the knockoff for what it is so are they really trying to trick people I don't know but it's weird that they're using a real picture and doing a four ninety nine buy it now to maybe trick someone to think that might be real. It's just fucking bizarre, the listing. But then you go into you can buy Hagane complete for US twenty four ninety nine. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Forty-four ninety-nine for for Hagani Complete Super Nintendo. Oh, fifty-nine ninety-nine or the starting bit of twenty-four ninety-nine. Oh, oh! I saw just a forty-five dollar buy it now. If you want to cut through that auction bullshit, uh, right there, um, you can buy PAL version N sixty-four game cartridge. You pick for only forty-nine ninety-nine. You pick. <laughs> you pick. Hey, you want that Wayne Gretzky hockey ninety-nine <laughs> for only fifty dollars? You can get it. The PAL version, though, it's like it's like happy hour. Three dollar you columns, and then they picture some of the ones that. I am guessing you can find for cheaper than fifty dollars, like Turok Two, Seeds of Evil, and Star Wars Episode One Racer, and Battle of Naboo, and Xena Warrior Princess. So I'm not sure who this, you know. Oh no, that okay. Then you actually look at the drop down list. Okay, Sculptor's Cut, Castlevania Legacy of Darkness, Worms Armageddon, and Snowboard Kids Two. Okay, so th- they do want to try to pull you in, maybe. Then you can pick just those four games. Woo. How about the Super Nintendo Battletoads Double Dragon $45 complete for Super Nintendo? That seems like that one is stuck out worth, to me is like not worth your time versus trying to get the original complete? Yeah, I Dra- don't know. Dracula X complete for Super Nintendo for 45 bucks. Uh or or you can just go for some other Pokemon games that look like they were done in my basement uh for Game Boy Color <laughs> and Game Boy. So, there you have it. Um, not much else to say about this one, Ian, unless you want to expound upon it further. No, it's fine. But isn't that bizarre, though? Just the the, the pictures used to yeah. for the NWC gold. I almost want to buy this to see a real picture of this. Let's see how well done or not this is. You know. So, uh, card the the card guru thirty three. You are the scumbag seller of Pat's birthday. Yeah. Birthday. 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 Ian, this was announced. This was announced right before we went to air. And there, it's interesting. There, there, there have been rumors about it for a few days. Um, this is, I believe, the first solid. At least it's solid because it's on Amazon. So Hyperkin is releasing a redone version of their original Retron. Uh, Yobo had one. Um, yeah, this is this. All the clones started with simple plug-and-play, you drop an NES yeah. cartridge in the top boxes, and they went on from there to the dual-playing units, to the triple units. When did they originally suck. come out? Like 2004 around? Well, I was going to say 2005 or six. You had the generation yeah. next before that, that dropped off. That was the first it, clone. And disappeared you, completely, and, and then all of a sudden... The Yobo you had, and the Retron. Yeah, stuff. you had the FC console, you had the Retron, etc. And um, we're, with with all the, the popularity of the, um, the HD... NES, you know, uh, playing consoles now, the uh, the uh, AVS. Retro AVS. Um, the Analog NT. Um, Retron 5. Yeah, the Retron 5. Um, Retron has, is, is releasing uh, for $39.99 um, an HD NES. Uh, you know, going back full circle, basically, and starting at the beginning. Um, it's a really a- a- attractive price point and uh, apparently, it's going to be done with hardware, uh, not emulation. Emulate. Um, it'll upscale to 720p. Uh, it'll be switchable between 16.9 and 4.3. Thank fucking goodness. Um, it'll do uh, PAL and NTSC. Via bottom case switch, which is interesting. Yeah, so I guess there'll be a switch on the bottom for it. Which, which, which you believe that it's not software emulation, then. 
yeah, they they say right down here, questions and answers, does this device use software emulation or is it a really good, or is it a hardware clone? And the manufacturer responds, the Retron 1 is all hardware, no emulation. Um, so, But also yeah. AV port, which I think is cool. Yeah, so it can do AV, it can do HDMI. It's it's interesting because for 40 bucks, I mean, depending on how it looks, this is a a, a really good cheap entry model. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles of things like the AVS or the uh, analog NT-mini, um, but it's it's affordable, and your NES games should, in theory, uh, if this is decent, or at least does as well as the Retron 5 does, um, should make your NES games look nice for a reasonable price. 40 bucks, and then if you get on Amazon, it's free shipping for Prime members. Um yeah, this you want to pay forty bucks or one hundred and sixty for a Retron Five, or you know a lot for an AVS and even more for an Analog NT. This could be that solution going forward that you're going to see at the swap meet five years from now. People getting rid of their you know FC twins and getting rid of their original Retrons. You know this is going to be the new sort of cheap way to do it. Again, how is it looking? Is it simple? They put a cheap upscaler in there, or is it something else going on? That's a, that's a low price for that. Yeah, I mean, that's the same price as the regular you know, knockoffs for the most part, right? So, I mean... Mm-hmm. No, I mean, they're definitely looking to make this their the replacement, and I guess that's my only concern. Cool. For thirty nine ninety nine. what kind of upscaling are you getting? It looks cool. They use the same colors of an NES. They use the same power and reset sort of button motif. The controller has a cool little angle on it. The, the console has a little triangle angle for some... trapezoidal for some reason. Um... And yeah, I'm just curious that the fact that it has an AV cable as well, that they just threw an upscaler in there, and who knows if there's going to be input lag or something of that nature with that, versus like an FPGA that's in there. It'll also be interesting to see, uh, quite frankly, um, if it will handle uh, EverDrives. I mean, is this is this someone's one and done on the road solution? Well, it's hardware based, in right? You know, the Retron Five doesn't, but the Retron Five isn't hardware; it's it's software it's emulation. Software. You know, so if this is all hardware, you know, there's there's a possibility that this could be in a lot of con bags. Not I me, mean, not to give what you bring to a convention to play it. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. they yeah. give a lot of con bags. Hey, come on Sorry. in. Here's your Retron HD. A lot of travel bags. Looks like it comes with uh, one controller. Yeah, one controller, ten so foot cable though. Ten foot cable, three foot HD cable according to a uh, six-foot micro-USB cable, <laughs> according to uh, Amazon. Where did you see the question and answers? I don't see that link on here. Scroll down. Scroll down where? Scroll down to customer questions and answers. Oh, baby! Does not come with games. How many games are included in this version? Is Mario Brothers Contra Punch-Out included? That is so cute. <laughs> they, th- they think it's like a, a just a game with everything built in. Uh, yeah. Um, or an NES Classic Edition. That is so funny. Maybe, maybe that's a new expectation now where these games come out, these systems come out like that one that came out from, uh, which one that came out from Hyperkin with all the Jalico and Taito, Taito games that came out. Uh, the, I don't remember. You, I think you were too, you were sick. We didn't, uh, you weren't around to talk about uh, Yeah, but I, I, we, I mean, we did talk about it. Whatever. Anyways. That's yeah. the point though, is that there's so many of these systems now yeah. with all these games thrown on. It's so cute that some people think, oh, where's Contra? Even before the NES, many people would come in and look at them and just assume that they they were loaded with games. I'm nope, like, no. Nope. Got to go to your local mall and go to that cart stand selling all those, you know, Famicom fucking multi carts that uh, Hyper Italian Boys two thousand. <laughs> they got their <laughs> plug ass, and play. They got their asses sued often by Nintendo. I think so at some point in the early two thousands, uh, the company that distributed all those. But anyway, um, okay. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see uh, what the reviews look like. Again, if, if if it comes out or little input lag. 
and the upscale looks good, you have a viable solution. I'll slap my dick on it. Okay, maybe. Is, is that how you're going to sell them in the store? <laughs> yeah. Dip it in ink and eat a proof. Slap. <laughs> Get a mushroom <laughs> mushroom stamp on it. <laughs> hey, you opened that mushroom door. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so... <laughs> I'd like to end this CU podcast by saying happy birthday to Patrick. Happy birthday, why, Patrick. Why was that delayed? Thank you. Why was that? I, I was just catching something here. You're catching something in your gut. Are you doing the ball stretches still? I am doing the not, ball not stretches. Yeah. Scrotum stretches. Stretches on a, a ball. I am. Oh. Have, they, have, they helped, have they helped at all? No, they, they hurt like a fucking ass. Well, no pain, no gain. Yeah, I mean, that. I'm doing it. Uh, it's just not not doing, uh, doing the thing yet. Every day? Every day. Are you keeping your, your stomach... And that nice homeostasis where, <laughs> where you're, not, you're not supposed to eat too much or too little. You're supposed to keep it always. I'm, I'm doing my best. Okay. I, I, I overdid it a little bit at, with some barbecue, but, the, the, you know, everyone has a day. Um, anyways, Vani and I have a great idea for your birthday, but we have to uh, we have to figure out what day we're doing it. But we're going to make you I'm, leave. Am I going to be there? Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to make you leave the house. Well, this weekend, I guess, you know. Maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe this weekend. Maybe a Sunday. Yeah, I think it's going to have to be a Sunday. You know, I'll, I'll, I'm going to have to drive you home. Do you, have, you... do you have all your shots? What? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> bear wrestling? Where, where, where am I going to go? I just wanted to see your reaction. Uh, last time I had to get a bunch of shots, so I went to India in 2006. <laughs> And I had to take those freaking malaria pills for like a month and a half to make sure I didn't get anything. Oof. That was fun. No, you don't need any shots for what we want to take. That's a whole other story, my, my India trip. That was fun. Oh, my God. Anyway. All right, I'm going to take you home. I might come back for a couple of uh, topics. It's not fun doing a podcast with you. I did the podcast with you for like five months. It was it was not fun. It was like homework. Well, we had fun. Our 2DS segment was, was a barrel of monkeys. You sure you can't get through one more? Yeah, I'm positive. If I paid you? No. Well, I mean, you are getting paid. What do you mean? Yeah. Pay you extra? No. You want to talk about the video game Hall of Fame uh, inductees? We talked about them already. Oh, when they when they were first announced, but not the inductees. Yeah, that's that's all that's important. All right, get out of here. All right, all right, all right. A little bit of both YouTube and gaming news, and this has been developing after the announcement of Call of Duty World War II by Activision. They're going back to the past, where Call of Duty began after Battlefield 1 came out people are like oh I want to kill people with Asian technology and so after I, I guess the uh, disappointing uh, in, Infinity War fair space war game <laughs> Call of Duty they're going back to a World War 2 one for the 2017 uh, Call of Duty game which is fine they you know people want to talk about these games you have a, 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 a big Call of Duty community. It's one of the biggest game franchises out there. Uh, the problem is with the changing in advertising recently and with brands pulling out, you know, Google slash YouTube slash Alphabet, you know, how many names you want to give it, wanted to give the uh, people that are advertising more confidence and have them, give them more control about where their ads were appearing on YouTube. So they gave them uh, these greater controls. But they don't want I guess one of the one of the ticks they could do or sliders they don't want their ads to appear in front of anything that has to do with war or you know I guess ultra violence so what's been happening is that the regular call of duty uh, youtubers 
the ones that some of these have millions of, of, of subscribers uh, covering Call of Duty news, gameplay footage, etc. Their videos haven't been monetized the past several weeks because they're covering Call of Duty World War II, um, which which is obviously bad. And it's not something that I would think even Activision would agree with because to them it's free advertising, obviously. It's getting the word about the game. It's helping build hype. It's a marketing platform that they don't have to worry about. The infrastructure is built in. You have YouTubers with millions of subscribers that are talking about Call of Duty for years. That's their bread and butter. That's what they've been getting paid for with YouTube ads for years. You know, the publisher loves that idea. Nintendo doesn't. They don't like the idea. But most game publishers see it's a win-win for them. It's free exposure. It's less marketing dollars they have to worry about. Why not do that? Uh, but it's not working out with some of the in the Call of Duty YouTube community. Remember T. Martin? T. Martin? Remember the CSGO skin gambling uh, uh, fiasco of last year? Uh, he made a tweet on April 30th that saying his channel made $113 on a quarter million views of videos uploaded the past week. Then he said YouTube with a laughing uh, cold sweat face. For those asking, he said that's really low. That's like a 15 cent CPM. Usually it's 10 to 20 times that, which is roughly accurate. Uh, $113 for close to a million views. Yes, that's not what usual monetization is on YouTube for those out here out there who aren't familiar with how it works. So something's definitely going on. And it's as simple as the advertisers, major advertisers going into their now controls and seeing like, you know, there's different categories now that they can choose. Um, you know, profane language, violent content, and unclicking those for, why well, don't want my ads to appear in front of these sort of videos. That's the controls that advertisers have that didn't have before. And this is affecting uh, these YouTubers, uh, it's affecting uh, H3H3's done uh, videos about it. Uh, good old PewDiePie has made videos about it. This is affecting a lot of YouTubers, whether it's vulgar language, uh, quote-unquote controversial, uh, violence, war, things of that nature where where there are now people that are hired to go look for these videos, I guess to get a lot of views, and to flag them as maybe being one of these categories so that if advertisers choose so... You know, if they click off that, I don't want my ads appearing in front of that category video, video, ads will not appear for that particular brand. So what happens is then there's less advertisers overall because uh, they'll be less likely to click on that that dial on their controls. Uh, I think Activision, what's going to happen is I think situations like this are going to sort themselves out. Because obviously, if you're a big YouTuber before and you want to talk about a video game that had some violence in it, like Call of Duty, World War II... And now you're less likely to do so because there are less ads appearing there. Um, you're going to just not produce produce it or work around it, whether it's titling the video differently or description, or maybe not using. Maybe you're forced not to even use like the imagery of the World War II gameplay. And so that's going to get back to a company like Activision. Absolutely, they're going to look at this and be like, "What the hell is going on? We now have less free exposure because 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 before." It's not Activision paying for it. In essence, it's Google uh, paying for it with their platform, their YouTube platform. But the advertisers are basically paying for the advertising for a company like Activision. So co- these these game companies, if this keeps going in this direction, they're going to go to YouTube and complain, absolutely. Because they're going to see 
the amount of eyeballs overall promoting their games plummet, especially from these bigger YouTubers. Yeah, there'll be there'll be people that will fill in the blanks, but if you for years, if you've talked about uh, these franchises for seven, eight years, you build up a million or more subscribers, that's hard to replace when you're like a key influencer to that degree, to that group, to that genre of games, to that franchise itself. Uh, so developers are going to be mad uh, because then they're going to have to then go directly to the influencers and then pay them maybe for coverage, which is not as organic. It has to be disclosed. There's FTC rules. You have to say whether or not you're being sponsored or you you know there's an ad place in front of that. So this is going to be trouble. But do I think it's going to smooth itself out? I think it will over time. Uh, there was when you go from a place of um, no control at all for advertisers, which is inexcusable. Advertisers should have control about where their ads appear. They're the ones fucking paying for it. That's not an anti-YouTuber uh, perspective. That's a common sense perspective. If I'm paying tens of thousands of dollars, I should have some control over where my ads go, or else you're not seeing my money. So you go from a situation where there was none of that to then them complaining and now getting control where it might be too broad now, or the categories are too broad, where I, if I click off, I don't want any video with any violent or war imagery, where now, maybe I'm not realizing that it includes video games that might have violence in it. Maybe I want that included. So I think this will be fine-tuned. I think this will be... Uh, I think this will soften out in the long run, where um, this will get more sophisticated. There'll be some give and take. Of course, right now, YouTubers are hurting. Some are hurting, and that's unfortunate. Um, but it's the rubber band effect, where you go, uh, nothing, nothing, snap. And then, you know, it goes too far the other way. It's going to come back to the medium at some point. I'm just not sure how long that will take or should take. It could be months. It could be a year, two years before it gets to a more normal place or it more closely resembles maybe TV, radio advertising or Internet advertising in general where you could uh, specifically maybe not block off uh, videos that fall into a range of different types of content, but you proactively choose the channels you want your ads to appear in front of. So then you therefore know that, okay, this is a channel that has a few million subscribers. Maybe I don't care if they do something that's quote-unquote profane or uses vulgar language. I know that this is a proper uh, this is a proper partner for what the product I have that I'm trying to sell. I think we'll get there. It's just going to take a while, unfortunately. And for a situation... Uh, for someone like this prestigious key, he has over a million subscribers. Uh, he has he has all his videos demonetized. Trying to talk about Call of Duty World War Two, it's unfortunate right now. It it, it definitely is. There's gonna be there's gonna be growing pains involved uh, in this time period. Uh, I'm just hoping it gets sorted out, and I hope that they resolve a situation like this more sooner than later. But if this keeps happening with uh, big game fran- franchises, say the next GTA comes out. You know, GTA 6 comes out, and then all of a sudden every video gets demonetized uh, from GTA 6 talking about or showing it. You you don't think Rockstar is going to be pissed about that because they want that coverage, they want it to continue strongly? Oh, they're going to be pissed. Uh, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna figure this out. I think it's just going to take a while, but they're going to figure it out. Guardians of the Galaxy. Those lovable intergalactic scamps. <laughs> Volume 2 just came out over the weekend. The gangbusters at the box office. Why wouldn't it? Probably the most anticipated film of this year, or probably top three. The first one in 2014 came out with low expectations. 
everyone's saying this is going to be the first Marvel failure. You know what? It was quite the opposite of that. It did better than what anyone could have expected. It sort of broke the mold of the Marvel's, uh, Marvel Universe uh, movie to that point. It was a space adventure. You know, it was basically the tone of what a Fantastic Four movie could be if in the right hands. Uh, both in comedy, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, space aliens, saving the universe, saving the galaxy. A Fantastic Four movie could fit into that mold. Absolutely. So three years later, you have the sequel. And then you have uh, James Gunn back, both writing and directing it. Um, and I'm glad that, well, he, he was given some leeway on the first one, um, to at least develop the story. And then Marvel obviously loved the idea. And then after that success, you know, probably mostly hands off for the sequel. Cause he earned that, he earned that credit from the first one. Cause the movie made a ton of money. Um, people love this franchise. They love the characters now that before Guardians of the Galaxy, this was a C-list franchise. This was, you know, talk about Cloak and Dagger series coming out. Cloak and Dagger was a lot, and that's and that's far down the Marvel sort of totem pole. Cloak and Dagger was a hell of a lot better known than Guardians of the Galaxy, even before the you know before these movies came out. You know, you, you have a you know the lovable rogue, but then you have a a. a a, a huge tree. You have a a little raccoon named Rocket shooting people, saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm going to murder you." Um, Drax the Destroyer, and you have Gamora. You have this ragtag uh, group that most people before the first movie came out were like, "Okay, this is too insane to work on film." People will be turned off, but no, the the, the personalities of the characters, the interplay between them. The fact that it was not what people were expecting at all, if they knew what to expect. I mean, you know, they, they saw the the trailers using seven, you know, seventies and early eighties music. Like, okay, this is something weird and different, and that's what got butts into the into the theater. But for the sequel, I think the expectations were so high that it'd be tough to match it going into the first one, not knowing what you're gonna be getting. Besides, you know, uh, you had those wacky trailers for the first one. So it, it's made a ton of money. I think it made a little more than the first so far. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, you got 82%, not as high as the first one, but still certified fresh. The co- critics' consensus, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2's action-packed plot, dazzling visuals, and irreverent humor adds up to a sequel that's almost as fun, if not quite as thrillingly fresh, as, as its predecessor. Which... To me, it's fair. Of, of course, this is going to be as fresh. In the, fir- in the first one, you're discovering this, uh, you know, snarky uh, space thief. You have a green uh, super alien assassin. You have a, a little freaking little raccoon killer with a New York accent. You have a killer tree, and you have a muscle-bound, uh, dry, humor-esque uh, character played greatly uh, by Dave Bautista. So you're not going to be able to recreate that magic of getting them together and then world building for for the sequel but what you can do with the sequel and what was done here was develop all those characters and build upon what you learned about them in the first one and that's what you did here so there's going to be some spoilers here I'm going to have to get into it but what I was most shocked about when I saw Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and I, and I, and I did enjoy the film was how much it was driven on character versus plot the plot is so thin and simple 
that it's almost meaningless. It's almost uh, almost just there in order to grow these characters, which is what James Gunn wanted to do. James Gunn obviously loves these characters. Every character, from the normal characters to uh, ones that came back from the original, Yondu, um, Nebula, you know, we're talking sort of the villains of the first uh, film, are given so much more to do and are so much more integral to the plot and are given all development. Yondu by Michael Rooker, played by Michael Rooker, was probably the highlight to me in the sequel. Not that he was a throwaway character in the first one, but he's so fleshed out in the sequel and given a very, very uh, dramatic and sensical character arc that it's almost an entirely different movie in terms of tone than the first one. Yes, you know, you still have the irreverence. Uh, Drax is played almost solely for laughs in the sequel. In the first, and, he, and he almost has nothing to do in the sequel, but it doesn't matter in terms of the action of the, the characters versus their inter, versus their interactions with each other and sort of the emotional bonds they develop and how you and how much you learn about them. And, every, and again, everyone's given a chance to do that. The only character I would argue that does not have a real character arc, Drax really doesn't uh, that much. He's almost just there as, as the pure comic relief, which is funny because in the original that was more Rocket was the pure comic relief and in Peter. Uh, but then Rocket's given a very, very small character arc that he was almost given just to... you got to have him go through some sort of a you know, semi-emotional scene. It really wasn't needed, but it, it kind of works. They wanted everyone to have some development, so I could see that. But uh, Nebula had a nice little arc in development with her sister Gamora. And then, of course, you have Peter learning about himself, learning about what real family is, as he, spoilers, meets his dad, played by Kurt Russell, who's Ego the Living Planet. And again, the plot to me is the weakest part of this film. Um, and in terms of the action, you have the, the set piece in the beginning played almost for comedy, and it's very original and unique in the fact that your eyes aren't even on the main action. You're on little baby Groot dancing around with the action basically happening in the background, which is sort of playing off of Groot's development from the end of the first film where he starts dancing around to uh, the Jackson 5 song, oh, which is fine. It's cute. Yes. Is it played for marketing? Is it played for less? Sure. Is it overdone? Mm. No, yeah, it it really depends on your perspective. Is that too Disney-fied for you? If you want to take that argument, fine. But I didn't mind Baby Groot at all. It was cute to me, and um, it played into the plot in certain points, uh, the innocence of the character. So I didn't mind that. Um, it wasn't there just as an add-on, you know, like, oh, there's a, we'll just laugh at Baby Groot, and now, you know, he doesn't really belong with the rest of the story. No, there's, there's a reason for certain actions here and there with Baby Groot. And now who's now, spoiler, is going to be Teenager Groot, I guess, in the third film, which to me is, is an interesting sort of uh, change. But I did see someone complain, oh, this is a Disney-fied Marvel movie. And tonight, th- that I would ask, uh, I would think you were absolutely out of your fucking mind um, if you thought that. Are there cute moments? Yes. Are there comedic moments? Yes, as there were in the, in the first film. There is a, a moment in this film which is probably the most violent I have seen in any Marvel uh, Marvel uh, Studios movie to this point. Spoilers. Click off if you want to hear it. There is a scene of mass homicide played to a you know a '70s song, which I can't on top of my head remember which one it, what it, which one it is. By Yondu, basically murdering all the Ravagers that turned on him. 
And yeah, you can say, well, it was self-defense. Okay, it, it was. But boy, that's a sort of a shocking scene uh, that's trying to be played for a little bit of comedy where his magic arrow is killing literally dozens and dozens, maybe a hundred different people. And then rockets shooting some as well. Just people with no chance of survival just getting slaughtered. And Moss. If, if you can find that in any other Disney movie, uh, let me know. Because that, to me, that, that's not Disney at that point. That's James Gunn doing his thing. Um, and it's a very it's a very effective scene, by the way. Uh, and it's a beautifully a shot. Uh, you have the bodies falling in slow motion inside the ship. And while I'm at sort of the, uh, all the character arcs, even Yondu's uh, his shipmate, who was in the first film, uh, the guy with the little beard goatee. Even he has a little of a bit of a character arc. Even Taserface, the funny uh, uh, Ravager who mutinies uh, against uh, Yondu, he has a character arc. Like everyone's giving some 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 sort of development, which again, it's it was almost too much, but you appreciate that 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 everyone goes from a point A to a point B in it. In a movie like this, and again, there isn't a huge amount of action. You have the action in the beginning for five minutes. You have the big set piece at the end, and you have a couple of little minor action scenes in the beginning. The murderous rampage of, of Yondu, not entirely action because it's really one sided. And then you have Rocket uh, fending off in a funny way, comedic way. He's fending off the Ravagers coming after him for the bounty. That's really it for the film. Um. Kind of shocking, but I don't think audiences are going to care that much because they love these characters already. What I'm sort of scared of is the tone of these movies. And you can say, yes, all the Marvel movies have, have, have comedy in them, even Captain America, even Civil War. But that's always sort of under the surface where, like for a movie like Civil War, you needed the comedic elements in order to take the pressure off the the, the drama that was going on. So Sort of the the heavy, the heaviness of the plot. Um, when you throw like the Avengers in with Guardians of the Galaxy for these Infinity War movies, I they got to be really careful. The Russo brothers, and I'm I'm sure they could pull it off, but they got to be careful not to mix the tones too much between the comedy first and the drama first, with comedy underneath, you know, elements. Because yeah, there's there's a lot of drama and emotional scenes in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but first and foremost, this is a space comedy still. That That's also action. It's space comedy with, with action uh, in it. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I really like this movie. I, I thought it took risks, being that it wasn't action-heavy. Is it a perfect movie? Absolutely not. Uh, you can see the quote-unquote plot twist of the villain happening a mile and a half away. Um, is there a way around that? Yeah, they could have done that they could have written that uh, moment leading up to that to be more of a shock. They could have uh, could have hidden it a little bit more, but it is what it is. No movie's going to be perfect out there. But 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 for what it is, Guardians of the Galaxy gets my recommendation. Um, I think it's I think it's worth your time to see that. It's not a, it's not a Disney movie. When I saw that comment from someone that it was a Disney movie. Uh, well, yeah, technically they they financed it, but it's not a Disney tone movie. This isn't for kids, even though there's going to be a lot of families that that go and see this. So uh, interesting to see where they lead to the third film uh, from there. And uh, yes, and it is worth sticking around for the seventy-five thousand uh, post-credit scenes. There's, there's actually five. One has something to do with the plot. One could lead into a spinoff, uh, and then the rest are just for fun. 
for funsies. So uh, I enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Looking forward to 3. And uh, not looking forward to the Spider-Man movie because the trailer stinks. And the rest of the audience I was with seeing the trailer weren't excited. But Thor Ragnarok, everyone is up. They're, they're excited for that one. So I'm kind of ashamed now that I want to see Thor Ragnarok more than Spider-Man Homecoming since Spidey's my favorite superhero. I'm going to blame Sony for that since they still have some control over that. But uh, anyway... That's it for this See You Podcast for my birthday, May 9th. If you like the podcast, and if you haven't done so, please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Podbean, or your platform of choice. Uh, You can like the podcast. That helps give it a boost. And subscribe and leave a comment uh, for the podcast on your platform of choice as well. If you want to advertise with the See You Podcast, it's seeyoupodcast at thepunkeffect.com. Reach tens of thousands of listeners. Oh, yes. Tens of thousands. Um, and if you want to directly support Ian and I with the CU Podcast, we have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash CU Podcast. I will be at Retro Spill Messen, May 20th and 21st in Norway. Maybe I'll see you guys there if you're in the Scandinavian area. I'll be returning to Two Minute Games at the end of June in Pencil. I have my app app, Ultimate Game Guide for NES, and of course the book's always available at ultimatenes.com. So for my partner, Ian Ferguson, I am Pat Contry. We will see you next time with episode 99 as we build to 200. 200? I mean 100. What? Yeah, 100. 200. No, I'm going to retire before that maybe. But 100. (laughs) We're building towards 100, and we'll see you next time.